for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jordan, and um, I, I pastor, pastor with our, our congregation, congregation in, in NDG. <coughs> Grateful, Grateful to, to be with you here. here. Um, I, want I want to, to start, start off this morning by you imagining yourself in this historical scenario. You are, you are a French citizen in rural France. It's the summer of 1944. Some four years ago, neighboring Germany has invaded your country and set up an alternative system of power and governance. And they did this in a just mere six weeks. It was a very effective strategy of the enemy. And since that point, some four years ago, your country is no longer at war. There is relative peace, war elsewhere, but not in France. Now, it would be easy in that situation to assume that this is the new normal, that this is just the way that the world is now with these new systems of power and authority, right? Many French citizens did assume that. But then imagine this. Imagine you found out about the French resistance, that this, there was this invisible movement but nonetheless powerful and effective movement, diverting supplies, bombing bridges, doing this or that or whatever, invisible, effective, powerful, stirring beneath the surface. What would you be forced to recognize at that point then? You'd be forced to recognize that there is no neutral ground. And the same is true with us, friends. Christians, we are at war. It is an invisible yet powerful and effective war strategy that's being played out. And there is no neutral ground. What is this war? The enemy, the strategy. How do we resist? That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're in our sermon series ending it in Ephesians, the last part of the sixth chapter. And Paul ends this letter by wanting us to realize that, one, we are at war. There is an enemy with a strategy. But, two, we can be at peace in that war because we have a victor who's given us his weapons. Okay? That's what we have. Let me just pray again for us. Spirit, prepare this space. Prepare our hearts. Only the voice of the good shepherd, the Holy Spirit, is allowed to minister in this place. All other voices must depart now in Jesus' name. I command the protection of Jesus here. Thank you, God, that you are Lord of heaven and earth. Amen. So we're at war. What is this war? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, we don't wrestle against people. This is not a war on people. Really important you understand this is not the Sharia of ISIS or the Crusades, okay? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We are biblically wrestling on three different fronts. Let me unpack those to orient us for uh, us now, okay? The three different fronts are this, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And this is a different sort of flesh than the one mentioned here. The flesh, this is a complex of deeply ingrained desires and, and um, habits and beliefs that come from our time of alienation without God, right? That come from apart from the renewing presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what the flesh is, okay? And that can manifest itself in all sorts of places. It can be as sort of obvious if you'd have it as child abuse, 
or it can be as sort of discreet as me just feeling really proud or happy. I prayed so much this past week, you know, this kind of thing. That's the flesh too, okay? Manifest self in its places, and how are we to fight the f- flesh? It's with self-denial. That's in Romans 8, uh, verse 13, we see this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds in the body, you will live. You are to put it to death. Spirit-empowered self-denial helps us fight our flesh. So that's one front we fight on. The next front we fight on is the world. And I'm not referring to the globe. I'm referring to what you get when you have people empowered by the flesh making laws and music and culture and traditions and philosophies. Okay? And so you can think you know, oppressive political and economic or religious systems. It's what people are trying to get at when they say things like rape culture or systemic racism, okay? They're trying to articulate what Christians call the world, okay? And this is another front that we fight, and how do we fight it? It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. We fight the flesh with divine arguments. In every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is how we fight the world, taking thoughts captive divine arguments. Okay, that's the flesh and the world. Those are two fronts we fight. But do these explain all the opposition that we experience in this world? Do these explain the evil that we encounter in this world alone? And I submit to you, no, they do not. See, if I'm going to use the classic example, okay, World War II concentration camps, six million Jews and other minorities dead. That's more than twice the population of this city in just a few short years, and hardly anybody seemed to notice for years. The logic of it, the effectiveness of it, the, the precision of it, the, the complexity of it. I submit to you that our flesh and the world is not alone sufficient to explain that kind of evil, but rather there is a third front that we fight Like it says here in verse 12, we don't fight, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities or against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We fight spiritual forces of evil. Think about it like this, that if the world and our flesh are trash, garbage, okay? Have you ever taken out the garbage? You've taken out the trash, you go, you go to stick it in the bin, you open it up, you're like, what happened here? You know, it's a very distressing feeling. You're like, ah, some, who trashed the trash, right? It's like, it's alive, it's moving. You like, go put the bag and it's like, shh, shh, Like, you know, the black, you know, the rats or the raccoons or whatever, they all scurry away. You know what I'm talking about? Our world, our flesh can get trashed, okay? It can become animated and personified by evil. There's more to it than just the flesh and the world, okay? And this verse describes it with hierarchy, authorities, cosmic powers, rulers. There's a hierarchy to it. And at the top, Christians believe there is the devil, okay? 
we have this third front we fight, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And some of us, we're like, the devil, you know? We're like, I don't know. <laughs> we kind of like wring our hands. We're like kind of embarrassed by it. We're like, I don't know. Maybe it's just a projection or dark superstition, but it's there. Okay, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, was not embarrassed or wringing his hands to talk about Satan. Okay, 1 Peter 5.8, he says about Satan, watch out. He prowls. He devours like a roaring lion. Watch out. He's real. He's a real spiritual being who's out to get you. He's a danger to your soul. And he's, he's prowling. He's invisible. Watch out. Okay, he was not afraid. It was not a superstition or projection for him, and it shouldn't be for us. We have this real enemy who is a danger to our souls. And these are the fronts of the war that we rage. Our flesh, the world, the devil, not people. <laughs> and it's easy to forget this though, right? Isn't it? I've given this example before, but you're playing paintball. There's balls whizzing over your head. Shoo, 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 shoo. You hear someone, you're like, ah, he's there. I can't see, but you just like fire wildly. You're like, you hear, ah, and you're like, I got him, I got him, I'm so good. And we're like, yay. And then we find out we hit our own teammate, right? That happens. It's funny in real life, but it's really tragic in the battlefield, okay? And this is so often true of us. How many of us get caught up in firing wildly, right? Fighting the good fight. And we are ending up taking out each other. See what I'm saying? Here's the late theologian Richard Lovelace. We're often operating like an army without intelligence, beating the air and one another at times, fighting flesh and blood instead of the principalities and powers that lie behind them. My friends, let's fight our common foe. Okay, not the person in front of you. However, they are opposed to God, okay? That's not what we're fighting. We're fighting the principalities and powers behind them. And it's in fact in this space that we're able to love our enemies. Amazing, isn't it? But let's not forget our true enemy. Is it invisible, a real danger to us? And so how are we to fight him? See, if, we're, if, if he's able to go about undetected, we're at, we're at danger. But we're not an army without intelligence, are we? Okay, we have a guidebook. We have scripture. We don't need to fight without intelligence. If you go back one verse, six, Ephesians 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil. We need to know what the devil's schemes are in order to resist them. And so what are some of the devil's schemes? Richard Lovelace points out at least four of these. I kind of borrowed some of this from him and reworked it. I'm going to go through them now. Um, and hold on while I go through these because they're dark, but you need to know about them. But I say hold on so that you know that there's hope coming. There is victory coming. But let's go through these so that we're not caught unawares. What are the enemy's strategies? Okay, I'm going to go through four. Temptation. This is some of the enemy's strategy. Temptation. Matthew 4, 3, we see the devil leads Jesus out in the wilderness uh, to tempt him. And how does he do it? He does it by appealing to our desires. Desires are a good thing given by God, but Satan can try and use them to twist in on ourselves and make it about ourselves. Live in for ourselves. I'm doing me. Satan can distort our desires. Spent some time in prayer before this message thinking, how, how does this apply in our church community? 
And I think one of the primary ways that this catches us is the allure of comfort and conformity. The allure of comfort and conformity. How many of us are living off of the spirituality of others? Okay? How many of us are half in? We're like, I want, you can have all the world, but give me Jesus. And we're like, actually, I kind of want all the world and Jesus at both. And it's just easier. It's more comfortable. Jesus calls us to be all in. Okay? That's the allure of comfort and conformity. And it's a temptation of Satan. Another one, deception. Deception. In Revelation 12, 9, Satan is described as the deceiver of the whole world. And I think the two primary ways, if you're to sum it up, that he deceives is that he, he, he seeds lies about who God is, that God isn't who he says he is, his word isn't true, it can't be trusted, it's just a psychological projection. You know, he's not good, he doesn't like me, all of this kind of stuff, he doesn't really care about me, or he, he wouldn't let me suffer. He seeds lies about God, and he seeds lies about who we are. You're worthless, you're nothing, you are just your sin. There's no hope for you. You will never break out of this pattern of sin in your life. You have no power in Christ or authority. Satan seeds lies. He's a deceiver. And he also himself, he disguises himself as an angel of light. He can, he can produce false prophets who give false teaching and use false miracles to attest to that false teaching. That's crazy. He's a deceiver on a major level. Okay? So deception, temptation, accusation. Revelation 12.10, he is the accuser of the believers, and so he uses all of these little voices. Who do you really think you are? You think Jesus really loves you? Like, what's wrong with you? You must not have enough faith. All these little voices that play in our head. Have you heard these voices before? There's no end to them. They sort of go, especially if they're like a broken record, you know, it's like, and you're like, it's that same stupid voice. Okay, it's not just you. Okay, you need to confront that. You use the warfare against that kind of thing. And it can go away. You can actually be free of that. Good news. These little voices, Satan uses these. He also wants us to become the accuser. So he's the accuser, but he also wants us to become the accuser. Like we saw in that thing where we're like whizzing, firing wildly, taking out each other. His strategy, divide and conquer. So he uses accusation, deception, temptation, and finally, demonic torment and sickness. I want you to forget movies like The Exorcist. This is so stupid, okay? Remember Jesus in the Gospels. Remember the apostles, how they carried out their ministries. That's the real deal. That's the real thing. You see, how this works is the, the trash of our, of our flesh in the world, the trash of that. Sometimes we can engage in that. Sometimes that's sort of heaped and poured on top of us. Either way, if we don't deal with the trash in our lives, it can become infested. It can, can take on a life of its own. You see what I'm saying? And this is where the torment comes in. I'm not saying that you can be possessed, but you can, Ephesians 4, 27, you can seed ground. You can give foothold to Satan. So how are some things we've seen this in our church community? It's not just for the New Testament. I mean, man, I've seen people go down in baptism and little people, okay, Hercules strength throwing people off of them. You pray in Jesus' name, it's done with, okay? People coming into church, this is multiple times, coming into church, insta-headache, can't come in the door. 
I can read any book. Any book, it's fine. And then I go to read my Bible. Oh, I just, I'm so confused. I feel dizzy. Can't take communion. All of this kind of stuff, okay? These are like mild forms of it. More extreme forms of this. Last year in NDG, we had somebody come in. It was a prayer and worship night. Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring freedom, deliverance to the captives. That verse was read, and that person was like, I think I need help. We started praying for them immediately on the floor, slithering along like a snake. We began to read scripture of them, crying out. We're like, in Jesus' name, let, let's walk you through a prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus. They prayed that prayer. They're still wrestling. We did some more prayer, and by the end of that evening, they were raising their arms in worship of King Jesus. Praise God. He still works in these ways today. And we're like, is that for real? Yeah, that was for real. Okay, I followed up with his family multiple times over the next few weeks. Okay, this guy, he'd been in the Douglas multiple times. He'd been months on different medications and in different systems. He didn't even know what reality was anymore. He didn't trust his own girlfriend. He thought his family was going to kill him. He wanted to commit suicide. And nothing would help except for from one night to the next. And what was in the middle was a prayer and worship night in which he gave his life to Jesus. Okay, that's the freedom and healing that Jesus can bring. This is so stinking real. Okay, and we like to mute this stuff away. There's extreme forms of it. There's intense forms of it. It's real. We've seen it in our church community, and there's more mild forms of it. Okay, just this normal opposition we feel as we're going through the Christian life. I don't, I don't say these things to be disturbing. Okay, I say these things because Jesus can bring healing. He can bring freedom. Man, to God be the glory. We're sitting here, we're like, uh, what is he talking about? Guys, freedom. I'm talking about freedom. Jesus brings deliverance to the, the most difficult situations. Am I saying that every mental illness and thing like that is demonic? No, you can have trash without rats. But where you have rats, you always have trash. You know what I'm saying? You can figure it out after. Okay, temptation, deception, accusation, torment. These are some of the enemy's strategies. And exposing this helps us resist them, okay? Because we're at war. We are at war. We have an enemy who has a strategy. But, like I said, we can also be at peace. We can also be at peace. What do I mean he can be at peace? Paul starts and ends Ephesians, grace and peace to you. He says in this passage that we've begun shoes of the gospel of peace. What is this peace we proclaim? How can we have peace at war? Well, we trust Jesus, who is our peace, who's made peace for us. He's given, he's, he's the victor, right? He's the victor who's given us his weapons. That's why we can be at peace what do I mean by this? Let's unpack that. He's the victor who's given us his weapons. He's the victor. Verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against those schemes of the devil. This is the armor of God you're putting on. This is not your own armor. This is, this is his armor. Okay, the armor in this text is a metaphor. It's like a mix of the, the prophetic messianic text of Isaiah plus the contemporary Roman soldier. It's like this has been smashed together to say the messianic king who, who was prophesied to bring deliverance to helpless people. This has become embodied in the person of Jesus. See, Jesus is the messianic king. Jesus is the warrior God who's taken on the armor and gone down and confronted the schemes of sin, death, hell, and the devil for the sake of the helpless and emerge victorious. Amazing. This is our victor. This is Jesus. Jesus, he, he faced temptation, and yet what? Was without sin. 
His whole life was one of integrity. There's not any guile, any deception found in his mouth, right? He was accused, and he didn't open his mouth. These are all Satan's schemes, his weapons. He's throwing them at Jesus. None of them are sticking. In fact, it's not working at all. Jesus is like reversing it. In fact, this is the reason he came. It says 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So there's Jesus being taking on all this stuff, and he's like, Shh, no. What's the ultimate picture of that? Death. Satan's like, death, my best weapon. And it's that moment in which it appears to be the defeat of Jesus, the victory of sin, death, and hell. But no, it's not. It's, it's actually the victory over sin, death, and hell. Man, Jesus goes into death to vanquish death. Death couldn't hold Jesus, had no legal hold on Jesus because he was sinless. And so he pulls this like ultimate judo move, right? Death is thrown at Jesus. He takes it. He goes down. He descends into the depths and he uses it to raid hell. To free, to free us, freedom, healing, liberty. That's all possible because of this judo move of Jesus. Amazing. You can have that. Colossians 2, 5, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. It's like Jesus, he, he takes out our trash, he cleans out our lives, and then he drives the rats away. He makes a public spectacle of the demons of the devil and his minions, okay? And you know what? If, if sin, death, and hell can't hold Jesus, it can't hold you if you're in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's what you have available to you in Christ Jesus. Jesus has rescued you. It's important I say you can't rescue yourself. It's not gonna be your own strength. It's not gonna be your own armor. This is a spiritual war that you're engaged in. This is way over your head. But when you rest in Jesus, you can be at peace. He rescues you from sin, death, and hell. So he can become your song, your deliverance, you know? This is what Jesus has done for you. He is our victor who has destroyed the works of the devil, okay? So you can resist him. You can have power over him. Now, if this is the case, why do we still see evil in our world? I'm like, Jesus is conquered. It's amazing. Freedom, healing, liberty. And they're like, well, but Jordan, there's still... World War, II, World War II, again, this is the common illustration, D-Day and V-Day. D-Day, what's that? The day, the day the decisive blow was hit against the German forces. V-Day was the day the war was actually won. It was finalized, shown to be complete. And it says we live, live between those two moments in tension. A decisive victory has been dealt against the devil and his minions. And yet we live in the time of seeing that worked out in the world. Isn't that amazing? It's only a matter of time. Okay, Satan is on the run. Our task, our task is to join Jesus in opposing the forces of darkness. Scripture says we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so what is our task? It is to stand firm in Jesus' victory. That's how we can be at peace. Our confidence is in him. You have been freed from sin, death, and hell. You have the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit running through your veins when your life is hid with Christ and God. Man, 
he's, he's the victor. Jesus is the victor, and he makes that possible for us to have victory in him. And he's given us his weapons. Let's explore that. He's given us his weapons, but we're to stand firm. Paul says that three times in this passage. Chapter 6, verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or stand firm in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. Verse 14. Stand therefore. We're to stand with what? These weapons, this armor. This is the way that we stand firm. It's really important that I, I emphasize here that Paul is not calling us to be good little Christians, fighting new battles for King Jesus. Okay, No, Paul is calling us to step into who we already are in Christ. Okay, We have been made righteous in Jesus. And he's not calling us to fight new battles. He's calling us to stand firm and pray in the victory that he's already won. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference there. And so our armor is what? It's not some new additional thing. Our armor is confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to put on your armor. And what's victory? Spirit-empowered word in prayer. That's our strategy, sorry. Spirit-empowered word in prayer is our strategy, and then we're going to be victorious in doing that. Does that make sense? That you need to frame it that way. That's what it means to wear the armor. Okay, so let's go through the armor. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. That is, equip yourself all the way around with truth. The truth about who God is, the truth about what he's done, the truth about who you are in Jesus as a result of what he's done. Okay, this looks like being steeped in meditating and being shaped by God's word more than any other words. Okay? See, that keeps you from Satan's deceptions. That equips you against them. Okay? The belt of truth. And having put on the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness, okay? this protects your heart. This protects your vital organs. That when you know who you are in Christ, it doesn't matter whether there are accusations come along against you, voices or even yourself. You know who you are and you can stand firm against the accusations of Satan. That's the breastplate of righteousness. And the shoes, 15, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Readiness given by the gospel of peace. Why do we have shoes on? Well, because we have something to do. See, there's no armor for our backs, right? There's something for us to do. We're not told to flee the devil. We're told to stand firm. And who's going to flee? Who's going to flee? Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, he flees. We don't run. We stand, he runs. Okay, that's the position of, that we're to take in Christ. Okay? And as we do this, we carry the gospel of peace. Peace, what was that? Peace with God. You can have peace with God. That's what Ephesians has been going on about. You can have peace with each other. He can reconcile the Jew and the Gentile, the most different of people. He can make one in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel of peace we get to see. Break into this world and deliver people from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's son, Jesus. Okay, we have these shoes. And then in 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. See, this is a shield that no matter what Satan throws at you, Nothing can get through it, okay? doesn't matter how flaming that dart is. You have the shield of faith, nothing, and stop it. I've done this before, I'm going to do it again. Satan throws some accusation at you. 
Say, no, I know who I am in Christ. Satan throws some deception at you. You're such an idiot. You don't know who you're. I know him. Boom. I know the truth of God. Right? You stand firm in that. This is how we resist. We, we have the shield of faith. And, and this is not as written to individuals. Okay, This text is written to the whole community. This is a y'all text. Right? So the Roman army, they'd have these huge, tall shields. They're like life-height shields. And they'd be boom, 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 all like a wall. Okay, And so you get tempted, and I'm like, Jesus is better. And it's like, boom, Satan's dart stops right there. You're under deception. I'm like, no, Jesus is greater. Boom, Satan's dart can stop right there. I'm under torment, and you're like, brother, let me pray for you. Boom, Satan's dart gets stopped. Do you see how this works? It's amazing. We have the shield of faith. 17, and the helmet of salvation. This is our new identity in Jesus. That's what defines you. We're defined by him and not anything else. We have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How did Satan tempt Jesus with words? How do we fight back? How did he fight back? He used scripture, right? It wasn't some like incantations. No, he was a, a, a truster. Jesus had trusted and stored up scripture in his heart for that moment of spiritual warfare. Guys, sometimes we're going to be in moments of warfare in which you don't have time to whip out your phone or your Bible. You need to be a truster and a storer of Scripture so that you can resist Satan in his attacks against you. This is the spirit-empowered use of the Word of God. It's offensive. And then the final offensive, we have two offensive things, spirit-empowered Word of God and 18, prayer. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. All, 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 all. This is our strategy. Prayer in all of these different ways, in all of these different places, at all of these different times, for all of these different people. And we're like, prayer? I kind of get the word thing, but prayer, that seems kind of weak. No, no. Prayer is not weak, okay? This is the strongest, the mightiest strategy we can ever have. Why? Because it reminds us what it says in verse 10, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, not our own might. Prayer reminds us of our dependence on God. Okay? This is how hell is being kicked back. Okay? Us standing firm in spirit-empowered word in prayer. Okay? It's not going to be anything else. It's not your own might. It's not spells. It's not tarot cards. It's none of this stuff. It's prayer, spirit-empowered prayer and word. This is our strategy for kingdom advancement. And it's with these weapons and with this armor that we're going to resist Satan and his strategies. Isn't that amazing? Okay? We are at war. Yes, we are at war. But we can also be at peace. Okay? We're not this army without intelligence. We'd rather know a victor. We trust a victor, the messianic king, who's raided hell and then said, here, here, like, put this on. Imagine that. His armor. Wear it. You think that's powerful? You think it's going to be effective? Yes, it will be powerful. It will be effective. It's his armor, okay? It's amazing what he's given to us. Now, I'm saying here we can be at peace. We're at war, but we can be at peace. Why is it then that we fear? With everything I've unpacked, this armor, 
what Jesus has done? Why are we still afraid? You know, I wrestled with this for a while. I've thought about this for about a year. And you know what I think the answer is? Is that we don't know who we are in Christ. We don't know the authority we have in Christ. Do you know the authority that you have in Christ? I cannot end this message without talking about the authority that you have in Christ. Okay, let's, let's turn to Luke. I'm going to give you a verse here. I'd, this is a verse you need to hold on to. This is Luke 10 and verse 19, okay? This is Jesus training some disciples. He's not just training the 12 apostles. He's training a group of 72 of whom we don't even know their names, okay? In other words, he's training people like you and me. People who, they're not apostles. We don't even know their names, okay? And it says in Luke 10, verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Do you hear this text? I have given you authority. Man, you have delegated power in Christ Jesus. You have delegated power to enforce compliance in Christ Jesus in the spiritual realm. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the example that Charles Kraft gives in his book, he was a theologian who passed away, is that of a credit card. Like imagine my son grows up, Jackson, I give him my credit card. It has my name on it, right? And so when Jackson goes to the store to buy something, he doesn't buy it on his own credit. He buys it on my credit. He buys it, in other words, in my authority. It's my delegated resources. He buys it in delegated authority. He can, he can buy as if I were present. Okay, the same is true of us in Christ. Man, it's not your armor you wear. It's his armor that he's put on you. Okay, you have the authority. You have the delegated power to think, speak, and act as if Jesus himself were present. That's what you have in Christ Jesus to take on hell. That's who you are. You have delegated power. I have given you authority. And it says, over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the enemy, these 72 lived pre-death and resurrection of Jesus. We live post. He's poured out his Holy Spirit on us. Man, think about it. All power of the enemy. That means that even if all of hell was set against you, even if every evil and demonic spirit was pointed its finger at you and out to get you, it doesn't matter. If all you have is you and the Holy Spirit, you can take him on. It's all you need is the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need in Christ. You have power over all of the enemy. This is who you stand in, Jesus. And so you have nothing to fear. It says nothing will hurt you. When you wear the armor of God, nothing can hurt you. This is Jesus' promise of protection over you as you wage war on hell. This is amazing. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know your delegated power and authority to kick back sin, death, and hell? This is who you are. Wake up. Seriously, wake up. Why do we go about like what we do? Why do we, well, we fickle? Why are we timid? Why are we, we so scared of Satan? There is nothing to be afraid about. I can't get any louder. I don't know. You, you have such incredible power and resources available to you in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is not a horizontal tug of war sort of situation. This isn't me against a demon. This is a vertical chain of command. Ephesians, okay? It starts out with Jesus being seated above all rule and power and authority, right? 
That's Ephesians 1, yes. What happens in Ephesians chapter 2? God has seated us up in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Where does that put you? Under him above all things. It's a vertical chain of command. You have authority in Christ. Take hold of your authority of Christ. Stand firm in it. Resist Satan, the devil, and our flesh, and he will flee from you. This is who you are. Revelation, or Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You participate in the crushing. Take heart. Have courage. Know who you are in Christ. You have authority. It's incredible. It's incredible. This can change your whole life. It's changed my life. But what happens, we ask? I need to end with this. I need to end. What happens if we don't put on our armor? What happens if we cede ground or give footholds to the devil? Well, we need to repent and renounce. We need to take out the trash, so to speak, and command the rats to leave. Okay? Some of you here know what I'm talking about. Some of you here, as I'm speaking, you're, you're, you're confused. You're like, is, is, is he trying to make me feel this? No, I'm not. The Holy Spirit is moving through this room and ministering to us as we speak. As his word is open, Jesus is near and he's preaching peace to you. Yes, you are at war but you can be at peace today. There is healing and freedom available to you in Christ Jesus, okay? 